You just take one thing away from uh, young people in some of these neighborhoods, like the neighborhood I grew up in, you add one thing and their life will be completely different. Um, you just change one small thing or, or one or two things and they won't be out there as part of gangs. They, they'll, be, they'll be me. You change that about my life, I'll be them. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years' experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. What up, what up, what up, Square Pegs? Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we celebrate diversity in U.S. law enforcement. If you're new here, my name is Dale. I'm the host. Thank you for stopping by and checking out the show. I hope you like what you see and what you hear. And if you've been here before, welcome back. Can't say enough about how much I appreciate your support. Be sure to keep that positive energy flowing by liking and subscribing to the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to stop by any of our social media pages. You can find us everywhere at Black and Blue U.S. All right. So today's guest is the chief of police out here in the Golden State of California, where the uh, state capital is. Everyone, please help me give a big black and blue welcome to Sacramento Police Chief Daniel Hahn. How you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. So, like I mentioned, you are the police chief in the state capitol out here in California. We're both out here in California. How long have you been the, the chief here? There. Uh, I've been the chief here for a little over four years, starting in uh, 2017. Okay. And how, how long have you been with Sacramento PD? Uh, 30, well, over 34 years. I started in, uh, 1987. <laughs> wow. 1987. Wow. Yeah. Sacramento, Sacramento was just, uh, just growing in, huh? It was like not that, not that big back then. Right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it did when I was growing up. That's for sure. There's many parts that have, uh, uh, as you say, grew up, grow up. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Are you originally from that area or where are you from? Yeah, I was born and raised here. I've, I've lived here my whole life. Oh, wow. Okay. So is that technically called the Bay or is it like north of the Bay or, or you guys consider yourself the Bay Area? Oh, yeah. You get in trouble calling it the Bay. Uh, oh, no, okay. this is, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's about an hour and 20 minutes from uh, the Bay. So, okay. Uh, yeah, it's just Northern California, the Valley. Yeah. The Valley, no cow. Okay. All right. Yeah. In Sacramento, you, you've got a, a different uh, kind of 
uh, way of policing out there. I wouldn't say different, but you got to deal with uh, a lot of politicians, not just from the city, but, you know, like I said in the intro here, it's the state capitol, so you have a lot of legislators up there as well. What, what's that relationship between uh, your police department and the legislature up there? Yeah, usually the Highway Patrol deals directly with the legislators themselves, but uh, being the capital means that we have protests every day about something. And right. uh, they don't typically stay on the capital ground, so we usually are involved in some way or another. And obviously over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of protests here, um, not only over social justice, but any number of things. Any given day, there's a protest here, union protest, uh, farmers protesting here, um, not just people from Sacramento, but all over the state because of the capital, uh, people come here to have their voices heard uh, uh, from those legislators that you were talking about. Right. No doubt. No doubt. So you guys are busy. You know, <laughs> I can imagine how busy you guys are. How, how large is Sacramento PD? Uh, we have uh, about 1,100 uh, members. Uh, right now mm -hmm. it's about 700 and 56 officers about 10 years ago we had a little over 800 uh, but we're uh, less now like a lot of departments are unfortunately yeah. Um, but yeah a little bit over a thousand uh, 100 total yeah yeah you know I was going to kind of bring that up a little bit later uh, but since you mentioned it you mentioned that you guys are are hurting for bodies just like everywhere else my department everyone everyone's hurting for bodies now what what do you attribute that to what would you think in your opinion that is well, originally our staffing was cut when the budget crashed 11, 12 years ago. Um, and it took us that long to start catching up. And so um, we're just now getting up to where we're authorized, which is about 756 officers. Um, but our authorized staff is not what it used to be because of those budget cuts. And now we're in a, um, a time where many uh, or at least some in our community and across the country are calling for less police. And so um, there's not a real um, desire from a lot of the uh, politicians here in our city to increase uh, the staffing of the police department. Although we have increased it a little bit uh, recently, especially on the professional staff side, um, because of some of the new legal requirements of releasing video um, releasing information, all those things have to be redacted and that takes people and time. So, um, but we just haven't gotten back to the staffing that we were 10 years ago. Our city has grown probably about 40,000 people by then. Um, we also have a lot more festivals and a lot more activity in our city than we did then. So it's just a challenge to keep up with just the core of our job. Yeah. And, and that's like, like we were saying, that's the case everywhere. And, you know, yeah. a lot of it, yes, yeah, not just the politicians and budgets, but, you know, the will of people that actually want to be police officers nowadays. I remember back in the day in the, you know, in the late 90s and early 2000s, I'm sure you remember lines around the block lining up for police jobs. And, and now it's, it's kind of hard to find, you know, applicants to fill the spots, you know. And then, you know, there's all that attrition through through the whole hiring process. So if you get 100 people in, you may get one or two out of that one or 100 um, to go to go to an academy class or get hired so it's tough yeah we had we uh, looked at that uh, recently and about six years ago we had um, well over 7,000 people apply for 
police recruit to go to the academy. Um, last year, I think we had just under 3,000. So over wow. 50% reduction in the number of people that are applying. And as you said, it's about one for every 100 people that apply actually get through the background, the process to go to the academy. And obviously we lose people in the academy too and in field training after that. So um, yeah, it's, it's tough. And I, and I think um, we make a mistake if we just keep trying to do the same things in regards to recruiting in light of, uh, it's not a real popular job. I talk to people all the time that say, I've wanted to be a police officer all my life or a portion of my life, but nah, I'm, I'm not doing it now. Um, just yeah. because of all the things that are going on with uh, protests or the death threats towards officers, spreading their family pictures all over the internet and things like that. Um, so what we've done is we uh, went to our council and increased the number of part-time entry-level positions like community service officer, student trainee. Uh, we do not have a problem getting those positions and they are very, very diverse. And then they transition eventually into being police officers and dispatchers and things like that. So uh, we've been very successful with that. Um, we still have a hard time recruiting in general, but um, I think that's going to be the wave of the future. I don't see, you know, thousands and thousands or the lines around the block applying for police officers coming back anytime soon. No, nah, not, not like you used to. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you you uh you noticed uh, you said earlier that you've been on the job you know for thirty years. So uh, what what was your journey in the police work like? Did did you always want to be a police officer? Did you kind of fall into the position? What what was your journey like? That's a that's a good question. Uh, no, I never wanted to be a police officer. Um, it's it's actually more than not wanting to be a police officer. It never crossed my mind to be a police officer. I grew up in a neighborhood called Oak Park here in Sacramento and. Uh, when I grew up during uh, the 70s, 80s, um, during the crack epidemic, um, our, our neighborhood was um, probably the most violent in Sacramento at the time. The first street gangs originated in the neighborhood when I was basically in junior high. Um, uh, I witnessed my first homicide when I was nine years old in front of our house where my brother and I were the only witnesses to a guy that got shot. Uh, multiple times. Um, we lived right on the prostitution stroll and a very busy corner for drugs and things like that. Um, and in my neighborhood, police officers were not real popular. Um, I didn't hate police officers, but I was arrested for assault on an officer when I was 16. Um, but I didn't hate police officers. Just I don't think it crossed anybody's mind to be a police officer in our neighborhood. We didn't know any officers. Um, the officers weren't held in high regard in our neighborhood. I, I can remember a couple times just running or quickly leaving a corner when we saw a cop come down the street, not because I was doing anything wrong, just I didn't want to be standing on the corner when the officers got there. So again, I didn't hate police officers, but I mean, uh, it wasn't a real popular thing to do in our neighborhood. So you know, I was thinking about being auto mechanic, construction worker, teacher, those sort of things. Um, but I was in junior college right after high school when I was 18 years old and um, I took a criminal justice class because a friend of mine told me it was easy and it sufficed for a general ed requirement. So uh, recruiters from SAC PD came by. I literally handed them the paperwork back several times 
And in my mind, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I was saying, you know, I'm not like the rest of these suckers in this class because I don't want to be a cop. I'm just doing it because it's an easy class. Um, but then uh, at, I finally held on to the paperwork. And a few days later, I called my buddy and asked him how much they pay. And it was like $5 an hour more than I was making at the mall at the time. And I'm 18 years old. I mean, I thought I was going to be rich, uh, $5 an hour. Right. Yep, and so, yep. I mean, back then we were making $3 and some cents an hour and to go to the academy is $8 and 14 cents an hour. I wow. still remember the, the, wow. the amount right now. <laughs> um, and so I eventually decided to go uh, just solely for the money. I, I wish I could say I was going because I wanted to change the world. But my plan was to go to the academy. And by the time the academy started, I was 19. Um, I got into a fight while I was in background. So I'm surprised I passed background. Um, and, uh, my plan was to go to the academy, become a community service officer. Cause I wasn't old enough to be a police officer and finish college and then quit and go be a teacher and start my own business. My degree, I don't even have a criminal justice degree. My degree is in business. And so, yep. um, it took me a while. I was on the nine year plan to graduate college. So, um, <laughs> by the time I was ready to graduate, I had been a neighborhood police officer in, uh, a neighborhood called Strawberry Manor. And then I actually started the Criminal Justice Academy at Grant High School. Um, by the way, Grant High School is the first Northern California school to win the Open Division Football Championship uh, against uh, a school I think you probably know very well, Long Beach Poly. We were big underdogs. Oh, wow. oh yeah, uh, and oh we, yeah. We beat them in the very first Open Championship game. Um, so I taught there for three years at the Criminal Justice Academy, getting to do what I had always planned on doing as a teacher. And through all that, I decided I could do what I love to do as a police officer. But see, growing right. up, I just thought police officers drove around and arrested people and gave tickets. And that, right. yep. that didn't really appeal to me. Um, but once I got in the police department, I, I was, I've been a teacher. I've been a neighborhood police officer. I've been a, a media a PIO. I've been in charge of all the undercover people. I've, I've done all these things that I never even knew you could do when I was growing up watching police cars drive down our streets. And so um, 34 years later, I'm, I'm the police chief in a job that I never even thought I would ever do more than a year or two. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, see, that's what it's about. It, it was something that you didn't think that could happen to you, you know, and, and it kind of fell into your lap. And a lot of people, just like you just said, don't know that all the things that, uh, you know, entail in the, in the police department. And, you know, like you said, you said the PIO, but, you know, there's canines and we've got larger departments. You know, you've got, you know, the air services unit. You've got, you know, all these different units, uh, horses. I'm sure you guys got horses for crowd control. You, you know, you guys got all kinds of sort of stuff. So um, if you if you like, yeah, we it, got it's probably boats, there. motorcycles, yeah. horses, helicopters. Wait a minute. And you guys these, got water. You had it. You guys oh, got yeah. water in Sacramento? Yeah, we got big, two big rivers that go through our city right downtown. Okay, okay. We have a marine unit. And uh, that's why I tell, when I talk to high school kids and elementary school kids, I tell them, um, quit thinking about a particular job, which is what we always get asked growing up, what do you want to be? But um, I tell them to think about what they're passionate about. And if it helps to think about whatever job they've been thinking about, and think about why they want that job. What about that job appeals to them? What are they passionate about? And once you figure out what you're passionate about, it might open doors to jobs that you never thought you would have. 
And now looking back after 34 years, there's no job I could have ever had that would have been better than this job. It's what I like to do, um, being outside, yeah. having some freedom um, and those sort of things. And, and I always mention my brother. My brother is five years older than me. Um, great student all his life, straight A student, went to UC Berkeley, um, really super smart, way smarter than I ever was. I didn't get anywhere near the grades he got. Um, really good human being, good person. Um, but he's perfectly happy sitting in a cubicle by himself all day long, working on a computer. I mean, he had a, he has the first computer I ever saw in my life when we were growing up, nobody had computers, but he had one in his room. Yeah. Um, I mean, I learned how to type on an actual typewriter in high school. Not a, yeah. I mean, we didn't have computers. Here, nobody yeah, had computers. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Except he had a computer. And so, um, and he would, my mom would be challenged to get him out of the house, to stop doing homework, stop working on his computer, stop doing stuff in his room. Her challenge with me was to get me in the house. I always <laughs> wanted to be outside. Like yeah. she had to put me on restriction yeah. to get me to stay in the house. Um, right. So even the, such a great person he is and so intelligent, um, I, he would have not been a bad police officer, um, but what he likes to do, he would have been miserable. Like he has, he doesn't have the longest fuse in the world. Uh, you can piss oh, him right. off pretty quickly. And I could just only imagine <laughs> at protests or some of the stuff that I've seen and been through, um, he would have been, he, he wouldn't have hurt anybody, but he would have been completely unhappy and frustrated yeah. Um, yeah. and not able to handle it the way I handle it. Conversely, I would be miserable sitting in a cubicle with nobody no human interaction, sitting inside, yep. working on computer. So he followed his passion and he's been amazing at what he does. I followed, even though I didn't know anything about being a police officer and never thought of it and landed into it kind of by happenstance. It was the best thing career-wise that could have ever happened to me. Yeah. And you know what? Even though you mentioned, you know, that uh, your, your brother – was different from you and he was more on the, on the analytical computer side. Yeah. I love hearing those stories because, you know, us as people of color, we're not a monolith, you know, people seem right. to think, you know, out there, especially in the media, all we can do is, you know, play sports or act or dance or something like that. And maybe, maybe be a police officer and maybe do some other things, but you know, they don't see us as, you know, computer engineers, scientists, all those sorts of things. Right. So, yeah, I love hearing those yeah. stories as well. That's the other thing I tell these kids. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. Yep. I mean, our kids can they can do whatever they want if they get the right support. And that's I've been lucky. I, I you know, I was adopted and my mom was amazing. And uh, my life would be completely different if I hadn't been adopted by my mom and dad. Um, even with all the things that I did see, my dad dying at a young age, all those things still... Um, I was very lucky to have the support of my, my mom and all the support that she brought uh, into my life. And so um, I, it, you just take one thing away from uh, young people in some of these neighborhoods, like the neighborhood I grew up in. You add one thing and their life will be completely different. Um, yeah. You just change one small thing or, or one or two things. And they won't be out there as part of gangs. They they'll be they'll be me. Mm -hmm. You change that about my life, I'll be them. Yep. I mean, I, I a lot of my you know half my friends ended up in prison or shot or you know going down those roads, and half my friends are doing exactly what they want to do now. 
And it's interesting to see because, you know, I'm in my 50s now, so all my friends are in their 50s. And so even the ones that um, went to prison, they're, they're done with that life now, right? They're out yeah. of prison. They're doing good now. And talking to them, it usually comes back to, you know, how things were when we were young and mm -hmm. what, what we had or what we didn't have that was uh, a big contributor to which road we went down. A lot of it is family. That That's where it starts. You know, your, your mom keeping you, your mom and your dad or whoever you got, you know, grandparents, uh, extended family, whatever, trying to keep you on a straight and narrow. And if you don't have that, you know, you look to it somewhere else. And that could be, you know, the dudes out on the street. Yeah, I sure did hate it when I was a kid, but I am yeah, very grateful yeah. that it was there now. <laughs> yeah, you know what, my, my son, we just had to talk about that the other day. And it wasn't as grand as, you know staying out of trouble and all that sort of stuff. But we just talked about, you know, all the, all the family stuff we used to do um, when they were little and how they used to hate it. And then now that he's, you know, he's in college now, he's like, wow, you know, I, I miss that stuff. I'm glad that we did that. Let's go do, yeah. you know, let's go have dinner together and, and all that sort of stuff. So. Yep. They know, we all come back around eventually. We all do. We all do. <laughs> we all do. Because you, you know, at that point, you know, when you're a teenager, whatever, you're just thinking about, you know, yep. you and your friends and, you know, yep. you, and then later on, you start to realize what's important. So, yeah, yeah he's only 19 and he, he's realizing that. So I'm, well, he, I'm, he's I'm a, grateful for that. He came around early. He came around <laughs> real early. He came around real early. Yeah. Good, yeah. Good. Speaking of family, I see you got uh, your pictures back there. A beautiful family back there. Who, who's that we got back behind you? Uh, those are my that's my wife and uh, our two daughters. Matter of fact, today is our anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank How many? How many years? 18 years. 18 years. Congratulations to that. Thank you. And Mrs. Thank Han as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How, how'd you two meet? Uh, we met through an actual magazine. I was uh, highlighted in a magazine many moons ago. And, uh, well, no, it, uh, <laughs> it was uh, uh, Sacramento Magazine, actually. And they featured like 30 um, young and up-and-coming single kind of people and uh she wrote a letter to me oh wow that's that's stuff made in movies right there huh <laughs> <laughs> that's something i could see like uh, j-lo and you know and ben affleck you know doing a movie about that you know <laughs> or j-lo and anybody yeah J you know, right <laughs> j-lo and me <laughs> <laughs> If my wife is watching this part, you know, just just disregard <laughs> that. Just disregard that part, right? <laughs> yeah, it's just hypothetical. You know, I'm sure. It's just hypothetical. Hey, she's got her crushes too, and you know, whatever. So, we were yeah. just uh, we went to a last night. We went to a Black Path Black Panther concert at the Hollywood Bowl, and uh, it was pretty cool. They had the symphony playing everything. And, uh, you know, when they showed the clips of Michael B. Jordan, you know, when he comes out that first scene, he takes off his shirt and everybody's like, ooh, and she's doing the same thing. I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm yep. not in my 30s anymore either, so. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, you don't have a degree in criminal justice. Uh, you've got it in business administration. Same, same with me as well. You know, I've got a, an accounting degree. Uh, my bachelor's and then my master's is in organizational leadership, which is, you know, what you can use in law enforcement. But I try to tell when I was an FTO um, and, and even mentor, you know, as an SRO uh, kids, yes, go to college. But I try to discourage them from getting criminal justice degrees, 
get something else and something else that you like, you know, whether it be business or computer engineering or biology or something, because I tell these kids, if you get injured tomorrow or two years on the job as a police officer and you need to get a job doing something else, it ain't going to get <laughs> criminal justice isn't going to get you a job out there because, for one, you won't have the experience to go teach. Right. You, you've only got two years on. And, you know, so you, you're not going to have the life experience and the, and the work experience to go teach at a university or a college or something. So you, you need a real job. So go get something else. And you can still use that in law enforcement. I've used my accounting degree in financial investigations. You know, I get called to do those sorts of things on task forces in my own department. So, you know. Like you said earlier, don't think about the profession. Think about, you know, what you can do with it once you get into law enforcement because we, we've got a wide range of things you can do here. Yeah, I tell people that get a degree in what they're passionate about. I guess that yeah. could be in criminal justice. But if, like, you're really good in math and you really like math, then go, go get a degree in something like that. Um, to me, in the police department, the important thing is the fact that you have a degree, which means that you were able to complete something. That you were able, yes. I know if you have a degree, that meant you did homework on time, you went mm -hmm. to class, and you did it for a long period of time, and you met certain standards, um, which is what we're about, right? You need to be consistent. You need to show up to work. You need to be able to finish a project and those sort of things. And so to me, I don't care what your degree's in. I care that you have a degree. And so, um, I, for example, I, I teach criminal justice at Sac State. Uh, I teach a police and society class, but I don't use a criminal justice book. I, I teach a lot of history and how uh, law enforcement was part of that history, impacted that history. I bring a lot of guest speakers into the class from all different walks of life. On Thursday, I'm gonna have a guy that did 21 years in prison come speak to the students. I'm, I have an activist, a community activist that um, advocates for police reform and all sorts of things. She comes and speaks to the class. Uh, I have a woman that was trafficked or works in the community saving women from being trafficked come speak to the class. So I try to give them a well-rounded experience that, yeah, it's related to criminal justice because it's a criminal justice class. But um, uh, I think we get so narrow focused, um, yeah. like you said, with your accounting degree. Uh, I, I want a police department that has uh, officers and professional staff that has all sorts of degrees um, because all that comes with experience and the more experiences we have the more we're going to be able to solve the various problems that we are called upon to solve so um, I, I remember one of the guys that I went through the academy with he was from a different department he ultimately became the police chief of the de uh, other department but um, he had a degree in like molecular biology or something like that. People you saw, what the heck's that got to do with law enforcement? But he ultimately became the police chief um, and smart. Hey, I think that, that might be able to help out. In, guy. That might be able to help out in homicide investigations, right? Right, yeah. right, right, yeah. right. So, yeah, you never know. You know, earlier, let's go back to when you were talking about, we were talking about you not really wanting to be a police officer because... I mean, you didn't really have anything against them, but you just didn't think about that. Was that maybe because, you know, this, this shows black and blue officers of color. Did you see officers of color in, in back in, you know, where you were younger? No, no. And we, I mean, we had an officer on our campus, uh, uh, from the school police department. And then obviously we saw police officers in our community every day. 
but I don't ever recall seeing a black police officer. Um, and I don't ever recall, um, well, not recall, it just never happened, any police officer just talking to us. Um, I mean, we, it wasn't like an officer drove by and cussed us out or anything, but um, I never had an interaction with police officers that was just a normal interaction, uh, you know, talking and, hey, what's going on and, and being able to learn about what they do. That, that never happened. Um, so, you know, the fact that police officers weren't held in high regard in my neighborhood, um, the fact that there was really nothing to go against that. I never had a conversation with a police officer. Um, I mean, I saw the officer at school. He never did anything wrong. People seemed to like him, but I never had a conversation with him. It wasn't like I wanted to go have a a, a meet and greet with him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just, I don't ever recall any of my friends ever talking about being a police officer, ever. And I'm the only one in my family as a police officer. I'm really the only one of my friends that I grew up with that became a police officer. So it just was happenstance. Yeah. And then, so now coming up, you being the chief and, and all your positions before then, does your department kind of promote that now to, to get out the cars and, you know, even patrol to get out the cars and kind of talk to people so that, you know, kids uh, like you were, were coming up, you know, would actually see and speak to a police officer? Yeah, and I think that's all of our responsibility, not just in a specialty unit that that's one of right. the core functions of that unit, but just everybody. Uh, but I'll tell you, uh, the challenge to that is this whole uh, uh, staffing issue that is pretty much across the entire country, some even worse than here. Um, you know, when you're going from call to call and they're big calls, shooting calls, uh, assault calls, domestic violence calls, you don't have the time to spend on even one of those calls you go to because there's five more pending that the sergeant or the dispatcher is saying, hey, we've got priority calls pending. So it's it's a challenge with staffing even to do what um, what we want the officers to do. If it's so busy, you don't literally have the time to do it. Yeah. And then that's when, you know, kind of time management or even when you're on those calls, kind of make those connections. I, I know you got to be sensitive and all that sort of stuff. If you're at a shooting or, or I was going to say 261, but not everyone in the country knows that, or, you know, a rape or, or something like that, you know, you've, you kind of make those connections on a domestic with the, with the uh, both halves of the, of the equation with the, with the children, you know, all that sort of stuff so that, you know, they can say later on, yes, I had a conversation. It was during the worst time of my life. And this officer was sympathetic and and was was able right. to handle his job professionally so and yeah it's th- amazing kind of stories to hear minds too yeah just those little things they are they make a big difference uh people just yeah. feeling like you cared on a call even though it might have been just an extra five minutes or something you said or just the way you act or the empathy that you uh you showed but i i, I also think we all as a society not just uh, the community, but police officers, the community, um, businesses have to change uh, what we believe um, the role of police officer is, uh, or at least slightly modify. I mean, I'm sure this has happened to you. It's happened to me many times. And I just laughed it off when I was a young officer, but now I stop and I 
And I try to um, compassionately correct people where they go, hey, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to tell that officer right there, like a mom or a dad mm-hmm. saying that to yeah, their kids. Yep. And they're going to come get you. And I'll stop now. And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. I'm not going to come get anybody. Like, you know, yeah. be a parent. Do your job. Don't don't stop saying that because the kid isn't listening to you, you're going to call the police department because they kept begging for a Snickers bar at the store or something. That's not what we do. Uh, but as a society, the fallback for everything, when some portion of society fails, whether it's the mental health system or any other portion of society fails, the fallback is always the police department. So we got we have to fix some of these other things. I mean, we have issues in law enforcement too, don't get me wrong. But um, we also, we can't just look at it solely as law enforcement else. What we've done for the last three, four, 500 years and the frustrations that our community has um, will continue to play out as we see them today. Protests in the street, those have been happening for hundreds of years. And because we do not address um, the root of the issue. Yeah, yeah. And we mentioned earlier that, you know, being Sacramento PD, you guys have lots of protests and I'm sure they were amped up in 2020 uh, due to George Floyd and all that sort of stuff. How how did that kind of affect your department, the George Floyd incident? Well, they were tough. Uh, You know, the year before that, we were dealing with protests related to an officer involved shooting that we had here in our city with our officers, the Stephon Clark um, shooting. So we had protests that were pretty regular on that. And then the George Floyd protests really ramped up with looting and attempting to light buildings on fire and things like that. None none of our buildings burned. Nobody was seriously uh, injured or killed. Um, So really proud of our officers and department. But yeah, it it was tough. And then that followed. It's interesting just talking about societal norms and biases and things. But so as the George Floyd the core George Floyd protest started to um, slow down a little bit. Then we started having protests that were essentially Proud Boys versus Antifa every Saturday where they're trying to beat each other up. And so we would have, you know, almost 200 of our officers attempting to stay in the middle of them. And so they would move all over downtown. Um, We'd be running around trying to stay in the middle of them. But what's interesting is those protests didn't get covered in the media. Uh, the George Floyd protests did, um, but those protests didn't. Now those protests were largely white, um, younger people, I would say for the most part on both sides. Um, and the early, early George Floyd protests were very diverse, um, yet the media didn't cover the second group. And so um, I, I've done a few interviews and wrote an op-ed about you know, why is that? Why is it that we can have almost 200 officers, mainly on overtime, on the weekends, standing in the middle, you know, basically being assaulted as one group tries to get at the other, and it's not even covered for two seconds on the news. No not one story for months that occurred. Yeah, yeah. And we, and we see that all over, media picking and choosing stories and we know which ones that they're picking and choosing uh, really for for clicks right well and this isn't a hundred percent of it but you know historically starting in slavery times and before 
this whole uh, belief that black people were savages and violent is only reinforced by that selective coverage. So when the protesters are diverse, you have it on every news station for hours running, you have reporters in the middle of it covering it. And so it shows a lot of this violence, a lot of, but when it's two groups that are largely white that are extremely, the only reason they're there is for violence against each other, it's not showed at all. So you're reinforcing these stereotypes by what we choose to cover and what we choose to not. Yeah. Uh, you know, something funny because, you know, they always make uh, jokes about it. Comedians do. I've always hated when, you know, there's a crime scene and, and the news gets out there and they want to interview, you know, Joe Blow on the street. And, you know, who, the one that I already they know get. what you're going to say. <laughs> man, they was coming by and I saw all I heard was pop, 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 pop. And then you know, it's like, come on, man. Can't you just get someone to say <laughs> I always you say, just, you man, know, why, yeah. why did I find that dude? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> And then some of them go viral, like the like the one that said, "I ain't got nobody got time for that." Remember that one with, yeah, with right, the fire? Right. Oh Lord, there the was fire, a fire! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yes, they they can be funny, yeah. but they kind of perpetuate that stereotype as well. Right. When you don't just get right. the guy like like you or I on there that says, "Yes, you know these guys came out and and all of a sudden they did this." They they don't want to hear that. You know, they right. want the sensational. Right. The yeah, they right. want that. So yeah, it, that's that's kind of weird. So anyway, so um. With George Floyd and Taylor, Breonna Taylor and, and all that sort of stuff that happened, you know, a lot of these viral videos that went out. And again, going back to the media, you kind of are your officers kind of like hesitant to kind of do something um, that they should do because they don't want to be the next viral video. Um, even if it's a justified shooting or a justified use of force, you find a lot of officers hesitating doing what they should do because they don't want to go viral. Yeah, I think there's some of that. I think there could have been more, but we tried to really communicate, uh, especially with some of the laws changing a word here and a word there, um, uh, especially in California. Uh, the officers are like worried that they don't know the rules. Right? Like yeah. what, what are the rules that I abide by? Can I no longer defend my own life? Um, we had that here in Sacramento where it was going to be before you can consider any deadly use of force, you must utilize all your less lethal force first and it must not work. And then you can consider using your deadly force. And just so happened at that same around that same month, we had an officer that was responding to a, a call where a guy walks up to his passenger window before he can ever get out of the car and he shoots him. Um, mm -hmm. luckily it hit him in the side, uh, uh, near waist level and it hit him in his vest. Um, but under some of these proposals, he would have had to pepper spray the guy or try to tase the guy, um, before yeah. he could defend his life. And so, uh, I think more so than the protest, cause you know, as volatile as the protests are and as hard as the protests are to deal with and work within, in the moment. Those aren't the lasting things. The lasting things are the reaction a lot of times from society or the political system to to kind of completely switch to a, the opposite uh, without mm -hmm. proper research. And like I said before, we have work to do in law enforcement. We absolutely do. Um, I mean, over the last three months, I think I've arrested four of our own officers, um, have many officers on admin leave. So we are far from 
perfect or even where I think we could be. But at the same time, everybody deserves to know what the rules are and everybody uh, deserves even um, uh, well thought out rules. Um, and to say that a police officer uh, can basically never respond with deadly force until they've tried all the other stuff. There's circum some circumstances yeah. that would be appropriate for. Yes. But a lot of circumstances that would not be appropriate. And you're going to, and officers are going to get killed. In addition, community people are going to get killed. Um, yeah. If an, if an officer and, and one of the examples I used during that time was a school active shooter. Mike, right. so here's a guy walk, running around school actively shooting kids. And you're telling me I got to try to taser him before I can. <laughs> no. It, so I'm like, yeah, you're going to yeah. get people killed. The officer is not going to go into that situation because if they know, well, I can't even defend my own life. Like, so, I mean, it ended in a good spot, um, but the intention was not to end there. And so I think the bigger concern for officers is what are the rules and what are people going to do to me if I get into a life or death situation? And, and so Definitely. one of the things we've done is overly communicate with our officers of what our rules are, what the state rules are, um, and to try our, and they're still concerned about not knowing the rules. I mean, you can't yeah. communicate enough, can't be open enough. Um, because what I always say is like the rules right now, if you violate the rules, we've shown over the last several months, we will arrest you. I don't care who you are. Rules are rules. They apply to all of us. So if you yeah. violate the rules, I'm going to arrest you. Even if you have a badge and a gun on, you're going to jail. Um, so I think the bigger thing for officers is just, um, what they feel like is the ever changing landscape or rules. And, uh, kind of this uh, not take in uh, police officer's perspective or reality into consideration when you make these rules. And so they're just not really applicable when you actually go out into the street and try to right. do our job. Here's the reality. A lot of what we do is not life or death situations, not a, a use of force kind of situation. Most of the calls we go on are not ones where we will end up having to seriously consider shooting somebody. I, I've been shot at, but I've never shot my uh, gun outside of the range or training. Um, and I've been doing this for 34 years. But that element is out there. And we ask our officers to run towards danger while everybody is running away from danger. And so we have to take that into consideration. Should not be creating an environment where you, you're going to you're good chance you're going to die if you're a police officer and you go into that. So um, we always go from one extreme to the other instead of uh, doing some good research and have good conversation and, and make some rules that are the best for all people. I mean, I'm sure you are just like me. I hate seeing these videos of from yeah. cities around the country where officers are shooting people. Even the ones that are that I can watch, I'm like, I bet you that one's completely legal because of the circumstances. Even those, those are horrible to watch. And so if we can yeah. have, if we had the ability to do something else, even if it was legal, we should be researching that. But there are times where there is no alternative. In the last couple right. of years, we've had uh, 
officers on traffic stop where the suspect just immediately jumps out of the car and starts shooting at the officer. You don't have a lot of options there. The drone isn't applicable. Right. The no. pepper ball isn't <laughs> applicable. You better no. shoot back or you're going to be dead. Yep. I mean, that's just the reality. And I think sometimes we don't want to admit that. But that is reality. Yeah, that is reality. And as far as your department and transparency with the community, do you, are you guys really good on your transparency? Um, I, I know your your PIO and, and, and even you yourself post a lot on social media about you know incidents and things of that nature. What's your policy and what's your what's your thoughts on on transparency with the with the community in Sacramento? Yeah, we. Uh, uh, we were releasing videos before the state law changed. And so we try to get out, if we have an officer involved shooting, we try to get out the initial videos, the core videos that show what happened within a week. Um, and then within 30 days, we get out uh, the vast majority of the other videos. Um, uh, and even if it's not an officer involved shooting, if there's some things that have happened in the community um, that are now of concern that have risen to the level of concern we'll put out that video too i remember at one one time a couple years ago we were chasing a young man and a um like a 15 or 16 year old kid um for some relatively minor stuff but he ran from the officers and so one of the uh backup officers um came flying around the corner and ultimately hit the kid with the squad car um basically on accident he lost control of the car and the video was pretty horrific looking luckily the kid was not uh significantly injured but i mean he went flying through there and the car slid into the front yard of a house i think it ended up being his house um and so uh that was getting a lot of play um and um the community was getting really concerned about it so we put out the video of it and um at first, a lot of the officers, I think, were uh, concerned because on the video we said that is not in keeping with the standards of our department and we are doing an investigation on it um, and we put the video out. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to put a video out that you look really good. It's another thing to put a video out when you did something wrong and you say you did something wrong. Um, but I tell you what, we didn't have any protests over it um, and people appreciated our honesty. I, I don't, I don't think anybody's going to trust you as a police department if you never say you do anything wrong, because we all do stuff wrong. Nobody's oh, yeah. perfect. And so in order to build trust, you have to, whichever way it is, you're going to talk about it. And so we put it out. Um, I think the officer was better off for it. We dealt with, with what he or she, he did wrong. Um, and uh, there was no protest. He wasn't blasted all over the place and we can correct our actions and, and be transparent about it. So we put a lot of video out. We are um, we have a lot of information on our website. We've invited Stanford University and Washington State and CPE and all these other organizations into our department to evaluate. But when they are done with their reports, we put that on our website so everybody can read it. We put what we if they have like a list of Department of Justice had, I think, 60 some recommendations so we put each one of those recommendations on our website and we put what we've done with each one of those recommendations so people they can see okay they recommended you do this mm -hmm. now we implemented the vast majority of them but some of them we didn't and so we put right on there why we didn't um right and so yeah i think it's important 
um, it's not the whole thing, but it's it's pretty important to be transparent. So, um, like, you know, look, we don't have anything to hide. We make mistakes. I'll tell you right now, we make mistakes. Um, we're not perfect, so but we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I know one of the criticisms uh, that I've heard is that when there's a critical incident, say with the uh, uh, with the police and someone else, that you know we we will go out there and put out a video or talk about you know that the suspects background and history and all that but when it seems to be the other way around we won't put out the videos and the information right away because the investigation's pending still you know we're still investigating it and you know and and the, the community isn't too isn't too keen on that because like i said when it's the other way around that information gets out yesterday yeah it's interesting you say that because i i, I agree with them when they say that it is yeah. weird. I don't know why we do that. I mean, well, I know why we do it. We've always done it. But, uh, right. so when we have an officer involved shooting, we don't talk about their history at all ever. And the media is the worst one. They, they call repeatedly. What's his history? What's his history? And I just say, <laughs> go on the superior court website and you can see all his history. His history has nothing to do with that moment when an officer decided, to shoot or not shoot. So therefore, we're not talking about um, ever. And we don't put out photos either anymore. We don't put out mugshots anymore. Unless it has, unless we have a reason to put out a mugshot. Like if we're looking for somebody, then we'll put out the mugshot. Or if we arrest somebody that we think might have other victims, and we think by the community seeing his photo, might recognize him and call us on other victims, we'll put that out. But those are pretty rare. So, and the people that call us the most are the media. Hey, put out that mugshot. Nope. Why? What's the purpose of putting out the mugshot to reinforce, oftentimes reinforce stereotypes? Um, You want the mugshot, go to court. You can take your own picture that we are focused on keeping our community safe and uh, solving crimes. In this case, solving crimes. We've solved it. His photo means nothing. It will not help with the investigation. It will not do any of that. So therefore, we're not putting it out. Um, mm. So yeah, we, we and we um, we treat the fam- an officer involved shooting, um, as you might imagine. Uh, that's probably I, I would guess uh, as a family of of uh, my younger brother was murdered, not by the police, but was murdered. It was really bad, and I imagine it's even worse if uh, they are shot by a police officer. Um, so it's probably the worst day or worst time of any family's life. Um, and a lot of times maybe the family's dysfunction, maybe there's a lot of criminal history or things associated with either the suspect or the family. One, we don't talk about it. Two, we treat the family the same, no matter what their background is. Um, we all, we never release a video before they see it. We give them a thumb drive with all the videos. We call, we, we invite them in to watch the video with us. Um, sometimes I've done it at, a, at their church, so they have a support system after they've watched surely the most horrific video they've ever seen in their life. They're very graphic videos because we have video of everything now. Um, mm-hmm. And then we answer all their questions and we have uh, we created a new uh, position for one of our detectives that's that we call like the victim advocate detective. So he's a police officer, been a detective for probably 25 years. Um, he uh, connects with the family 
on officer-involved shootings and like third-party homicides in the community. Because what I've noticed the most is when families go through uh, uh, losing a loved one, and it happens way too frequently in the community, not involving a police officer, their biggest frustration is the system. When is the court date? How do I get his property back? How do, you know, all these different things that they get bounced from phone number to phone number. And so we, I, I was, I was getting frustrated with the fact that we're like re-victimizing these families. And sometimes maybe we're okay with it because of their history, because of where they right. live. And I don't care, you could be the biggest gang member of the world, but when your son dies, that, that's still your son, regardless of yeah. what you were into. And so this officer, this detective now um, has been uh, amazing with the families. Uh, they're still mad at the, if it's officer involved shooting, they're still very upset with the officers that were actually involved in the shooting. But a lot of times they, their respect for the department grows. And so the legitimacy of our department increases because we're treating people with dignity and respect. And we never let a video go out before the family gets a copy of it. And sometimes they choose not to watch it, but they have the ability to watch it before they see it on the five o'clock news. And I'll, I'll give you an example for one of our um, ones a few years back, the Stefan Clark shooting. I see that video on the news from time to time. Like every, I don't know, six or seven months, I see the video on the news replaying it because something happens that maybe relates to that incident. And I'm just thinking, man, if mom or grandma is just sitting at home watching the news, minding their own business one night, and all of a sudden that story comes up, like that's gotta be tough. Uh, so, um, you know, I do think there's some things that need to change about video release and things like that, but we treat families with respect and dignity, uh, no matter what the circumstances are. That's awesome. Yeah. But I was going to bring, bring up as well, um, officer rights, you know, pole bars, um, how does that play into, well, for the viewers, uh, peace officer bill of rights, how does that play into releasing information about officer involved incidents? really doesn't play much a role. I, I think um, the Police Officer Bill of Rights gets a bad name. And I do think there's some things that need to change about the Police Officer's Bill of Rights. But I think uh, a lot of people try to make Police Officer Bill of Rights into something that it's not. I mean, the biggest thing that the Police Officer Bill of Rights is, is it, it lays out the rights uh, that an officer has when they're under investigation for some sort of wrongdoing. They have right to be notified, they have a right to have an attorney, they have all these rights. That's the biggest part POBR does. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't we want everybody to have those rights? I, I mean, right. a common uh, everyday citizen has that right. I can't just go interview a, a citizen if they say they wanna talk to their lawyer first, I have to stop. Um, so, uh, but what I do think uh, police officer bill of rights need to uh, change, at least as a beginning, is the release of information if they're terminated. Uh, and I've said this before at the Capitol and other places, I think uh, if an officer is terminated, their file, like in 1421 says, if you're an officer involved shooting or some sort of sex crime, or you were dishonest in internal affairs, your file in its entirety gets released public. I think that should be expanded to everybody that's terminated. And obviously termination means they've gone through their appeals right. So their scaly hearing and those other things, and it's been upheld. Well, their file should be released. 
Like yeah. it's hard to fire an officer. It's not. I mean, you have to truly do something wrong to get fired. And so, uh, instead, in, in some of the cases where I've terminated officers, and they're big public cases, all I can say is they don't work here anymore. Literally, that's all I can say. I can't say mm-hmm. I fired. Mm. And so, the reporters, rightfully so, ask you, "Well, did they just retire and they're sipping sarsaparillas on beach in Cancun?" Or did you yeah. terminate them? And I literally have to say, I can't tell you, even though they got terminated. Right. Like, it seems crazy to me that now people that already distrust the police department, they are going to assume they didn't get fired. Yeah. They're going to know what happened and they're going to go, that person should have been fired and they didn't fire. When in reality, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly and so I think, uh, and, you know, from a union perspective, why do you care if that person's not, can't be a police officer anymore? Same thing with decertification. I agree with that, uh, but it needs to be done right. Officers need to know the rules. They need to know what the process is. There needs to be established process and appeals and all the things like we have in every other aspect of our life. But once those things are done, I think you should be decertified. They do it with teachers. They do it with a lot of other walks of life. They probably do it with pilots, I would guess. Yeah. So I think they should. now. Granted, it won't make any difference here in my department and probably in your department and any other major department because any lateral officer that we uh, have in our backgrounds, we go to their old department and they have to sign their rights away else we won't even do a background. And so they all sign a paper saying, I withdraw my rights to privacy and we drive to their old department and we go through their internal affairs file, we go through their personnel file. So if they had gotten fired, we will know about it. Now, there are some departments that don't do that, usually real small, tiny departments, but all the major departments, LAPD, your department, my department, they all do that. So decertification won't make any difference to us, but it will make it consistent across the entire state uh, that you will know. And it won't be up to the department because if you're on that list, you can't be hired. Um, So I guess we could still hire somebody right now if we wanted to that was terminated from say your department we wouldn't we would never hire somebody that just got terminated as a police officer but um but i think those are good things to do i think that's progress if we did those things and some of those are tied to pobr yeah i would think here at least here in california and uh 90 percent of the of the agencies out here if you've been terminated they wouldn't hire you even though they have the right, the right to right now but I guess this comes from you know, mainly probably back east or or down south. Those those small departments or, you know, the the someone's the chief, you know, you know, their, their dad or their uncle's the chief or they know somebody there and then they get hired, yeah. even though they were fired at another department. So those right. sorts of things can happen. So, and I'm yeah, sure it would do. make it more consistent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So I love uh, everything that you we talked about today. Got some real good stuff. You about to hang it up here pretty soon, right? As as the police chief, what's your date? I am. I announced my retirement for the end of the year. Oh wow, wow! End of the year. So it's going to be end of end of an era. Let me tell you that. How do, how do you feel about that? <laughs> uh, I I actually feel really good about it. I mean, it'll be a little weird. I've been doing this for thirty four years. It's like I don't know how to do anything else. Um, but it's time. Uh, change is not bad. Change is good. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's time for me to go do something else. I, I, I'm not ready to sit on the couch yet, so I will 
I'm in the process of trying to figure out what I'm going to do after, you know, come January. But uh, I thought this was a good time, 34 years. We're not in the middle of uh, a ton of turmoil right now. Um, so I thought it was a, a appropriate good time, both for the department, the city, and for myself. How's your department succession plan? Is it pretty much in place? And what's going on? Does the city have to go through some processes for your replacement? Uh, they will go through a process. Um, I think we have highly qualified people inside the department and the city manager is awesome. So I'm sure he will find somebody good and I think he has the ability to do it inside the department. Um, but that's, you know, that's, that's a challenge that we are going to uh, be in for several years in law enforcement in um, the fact that uh, in June, I think the major city chiefs association said a third of the police chiefs have left uh, between January and June of this year. And mm. obviously we're in September, so many more have uh, uh, left since then. I know here, one of our suburban chiefs just left last week. Stockton just announced his retirement for the end of the year. Long Beach just announced his retirement at the end of the year. Um, so there's a lot more since June. Um, and if you talk to recruiters, they're not having a good time finding competent replacements. Um, especially in the major cities, the large cities, yeah. um, because people just, they don't want to do that anymore. Uh, they don't, yeah. they, they don't want to go through what you have to go through as a police chief. I mean, as I mentioned in many of the interviews, when I announced, I've had police officers guarding my personal home way too many days these last couple of years because wow. there was death threats on me and my family and protest threats for our home. And as we all know, over the last year and a half, uh, my daughters are 16 and 14 now, so like 12 and 12 and 14 when when COVID started. And my wife is a school teacher, so she would be at work, I would be at work, and our daughters are at home on their laptops going to school on Zoom, while these threats with my personal address being out there. And mm -hmm. so, you know, it didn't used to be like that, um, but now I have to you know, call my daughters every hour. Hey, you know, we have cameras on our house. We're looking at the cameras to make sure there's no suspicious person. I got in a yep. pursuit in front of my house, leaving my house one day because there was a car parked in front of our house that took off from me. Wow. Uh, like, and so my wife will regularly call me. Hey, here's a license plate. There's this car across the street from our house I've never seen before. It's not, you know, we know our neighbors. It's not any of their car and it's been sitting there with the engine on with a guy inside. And it's always mm -hmm. turned out to be nothing, but to think that you just see a car parked across from your house yeah. and you think it's oh, somebody yeah. that wants to harm you means that we've gone off the road a little bit. Um, Trust, and yeah. so I think that and many other things, are, you know, people just are not choosing to be the, the police chief in major cities anymore. And so it'll be interesting. I mean, very similar to at the line level of people applying to be police officers. Mm -hmm. um, so... You know, when people are thinking about their families, they have to now think, you know, as as police officers and as police chiefs, especially, you have to think you want to put your family through the life of a police chief. And, yeah. and that was one thing four years ago when I started. It's a whole different thing now. Now it's like before it was like long hours, missing a lot of stuff, having your phone by your head at night, and, mm -hmm. you know, being woken up at two in the morning and, you know, a lot of stress and all that. Now it's yep. you want 
you want to deal with death threats? You want to deal with people coming to your personal home and protesting in front of your house and uh, right. threatening to kill you? Uh, you know, it's different now. And so uh, it'll be interesting where we go over the next four or five years um, with, I mean, we need good leadership. You look around the country, Carmen Best in Seattle, um, other chiefs in other cities who have, have left under um, these volatile circumstances that, you know, I imagine you can find different opinions on them and me, but uh, the ones I know were pretty progressive and were trying to implement things and they got run off. And so yeah. um, it'll be interesting to see um, where we go over the next four or five years. If I mean, every walk of life, every profession needs good leadership and needs progressive Absolutely. leadership that is that is willing to look at themselves, willing to change, not the, not the guy or gal that's going to say, well, we always did it like that, so therefore we're going to continue to do it like that. Um, so we, we will see. It, it's a little concerning for me. Yeah, yep. But you'll you'll be watching it from afar, whatever those changes are. <laughs> so yep. congratulations. I'm not going. I'll still be here in my city. So <laughs> right, right. But you, but you won't be involved in that aspect. So congratulations right, right. on that. Yeah, I've got about Thank four four years, and then I'm I'm calling it. So uh, I'll be right behind by. you. Yeah, yeah. I know it, it will. Feels I like yesterday I had FTOs telling me they had pencils older than me, and now I'm that <laughs> pencil. So uh, yeah, now you <laughs> uh, it, it feels like it was yesterday. It went it went yep. fast. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. All right, all right, Chief. Well, thank you for uh, for stopping by and and giving me some good knowledge and good insight, you know, to our viewers. But uh, you are not done yet. I like to play a little trivia trivia game oh. with my guests. I, I think you've uh, <laughs> you, you've participated in something like this before. So let me get this going here. Uh, this game here is called uh, Black or Blue. Black or Blue. Black or blue, black or blue, black or blue, black or blue. Come on. All right, so this game is called Black or Blue. Your category today is called Look Ma, I'm on TV. What I'm going to do is I'm going to <laughs> give you a, uh, a, a customer here, and then you just tell me, are they black? These are TV characters. Are they black, meaning a black civilian? Are they blue, meaning they're a non-black cop on TV, or are they black and blue, like you and I, a black cop on TV? Gotcha. So right. that should be pretty easy, pretty easy for you. Your first character here is Barney Miller. Is he black, blue, or black and blue? Blue. Yes, Barney Miller is blue from the S. One for one, all right, from the show Barney Miller. old school now. Yeah, old school. That's that was like the seventies. Yeah, yeah. All right. Next one here is about Harry Bosch. Harry Bosch. I have no idea on that one. Take a stab at it. Bosch. What do you uh, think? Harry Bosch. B O S C H. Blue. Correct. Blue. Yes, Harry Bosch. I think that's uh, Titus Weaver. That's a good show on Amazon. You might have a little oh, bit of time. See, I don't have Amazon. Time. That's why I didn't know that one. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good show. It's it's from a book though. Uh, I never read the book, but uh, Bosch, uh, it's a good show. Right. So when when you retire, you'll you'll have some time to to catch up on these <laughs> <laughs> on these shows. Here. How about your next one, Kyle Barker? Kyle Barker. Wow, I don't know that one either. Um, I, I know you know this one. It's just slipping your mind. 
Uh, I'll go Kyle. black and blue. Oh, that would be wrong. Kyle Barker, remember from Living Single, Kyle? Oh, yes. Yes. The last name, <laughs> the last name threw me off. That last one threw you. Yep. That's all right. I only got one wrong here. How about uh, William Bunk Moreland? Bunk. What was his nickname? Bunk. Pretty popular show on HBO a few years ago. See, I don't have HBO. Uh, I'm going to say black. <laughs> he is black, but he's black and blue. William Bunk Moreland for oh, that detective from The Wire. Yeah, you remember okay. Bunk? Yeah, I never saw okay. The Wire. Oh, you didn't. I, you know, I, I just got, I just got, yeah, I just got turned on to it, uh, uh, like during the p- pandemic, and I watched it. It was a good well, show. Yep. Actually, one of the actors yep. just passed away the other day. It's all over social media. There, how about you? Should be able to get this one. Steve Urkel. <laughs> black. Yes, he is black. <laughs> you remember that show, Family Matters? Mm-hmm. Um, another one that'll probably throw you for a loop. How about uh, Franklin Saint? This is from a new show that's out nowadays. Franklin Saint. I'll see if it's not on ESPN, I probably don't know it. So yeah. uh, I'll say black and blue since we haven't had one of those yet. Oh, from Snowfall. He's uh, black. I don't know if you've seen this show. Uh, Damn, I've even heard of that show. Yeah, it's a good show. It's on, uh, it's on Fox oh, or sorry. FX on the, the cable version. Yeah, it's a good show. It's about uh, the 80s and the crack epidemic. So he's ah, an up gotcha. and coming, up and coming crack dealer. <laughs> Franklin All right. Yeah. Uh, how about uh, Daniel Hondo Harrelson? Hondo. Oh, that was uh, that Hondo is the uh, sergeant in SWAT. So black and blue. He is black and blue. Yes. Played by Shamar Moore on the show. Now I, I put 2017 on there because. Uh, that's the new SWAT. You remember the one in the seventies? The one in the seventies, Hondo was a white dude. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking of this I, one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and you got it, <laughs> and you got it. So I had to make sure if you got it wrong that I was still going to credit you. A couple more uh, here for yeah. you. How about how about Terry Jeffords? Terry Jeffords. Terry Jeffords. I'm trying to give you a hint here. Terry. Might be another new show. Uh. But Let's Terry, see, uh, uh, not black and not an officer, uh, right? That was category, right? Yeah, that would be black, but that would be wrong. He is black and he is blue as well. Brooklyn Nine Nine, Terry Cruz plays Terry Jeffords on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Have you ever? I've never actually seen the show. I've seen the I commercials, haven't. but I, I've seen the. I mean, obviously, I know who Terry Cruz is, but I, I yeah. haven't seen that show. Yeah, that, that brother is so cut, let me tell you. <laughs> yep. yep. Couple more here for you. How about Rick Hunter? Hunter. You got to remember that show. You don't remember Hunter? Go with some old shows. Rick Hunter. That is old. This show is old. This is the 80s. Hunter. Is it? All right, so yeah. police. Yes, he is. Which, which is he? Is he blue? He's blue. Yes. Blue. blue. You know that show, Hunter? Oh, I remember Hunter show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now see if you had said the show's name was Hunter, I would have remembered. I think. Ah, uh, well, yeah, true. Yeah, you. That's Fred remember. Dyer, right? He used to play Fred for the Dyer. Rams. Yeah, defensive yep. end. Yep, yep. You remember that? And two more here for you. Uh, these should be able to get you through. How about Vince Romano? Romano. Oh, Vince Romano. 
You uh, might not know, but maybe that name, that last name, Romano. That name sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, uh, not blue and not black. So that would be just straight black. <laughs> I, 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 let's give it to you. Say that you said he's blue. From TJ Hooker oh, against yeah, Romano. Yeah, I, I was yeah, trying yeah, to go yeah. throw you with the Romano last name. It's probably more of an Italian name. Right, but, right. Uh, what was dude's name? Uh, Adrian's Med, I think. Yeah. Remember yeah, him? I remember that. And your last, yeah, last Hooker, one. You could throw a baton and it could tackle somebody <laughs> all by itself. <laughs> you remember that. You remember that. that. Uh, what's the name? William Shatner with the, with the two I never got that training in the academy. I, I, no, I, I never that. got that one I either. I must have missed that class. <laughs> all right, how about your last one here? Michael Evans. Evans, this is old school. Michael Evans, uh, Iconic that's family. not blue. It's black, black. That is, that is, he is black. You remember Michael Evans? Good times, Evans. right? Yep. Good times. Yep. You remember Michael Evans? Little Michael Evans. Yep. I'm gonna say you got smart. more right smart, than you got wrong. Yes, you got more right than you got wrong. So let's call you the winner. Shocked you didn't have Shaft on there. No, you know, um, Shaft would have been easy. You would have gotten that one. Yeah. You would have gotten that John Shaft. Everyone knows that one. You're damn right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, Chief, I appreciate you coming by. Anything you want to uh, leave with the audience before, uh, leave with our audience before we go? Anything you want to? Oh, just thank you for having me. And uh, I, I can honestly say now that I'm winding my career down, it's been the best career I could have ever had. So, uh, for those of you that are thinking about it, you know, there's tough times going on right now, but um, it, it'll still be a very rewarding career. That part, I agree. I agree. All right, Chief Han, I appreciate you. Be safe in your last uh, few months here at the, at the PD and, and beyond as well. I'm sure you'll figure out something to do. You're a highly respected man in the community. I'm sure you'll figure out something to do there. Maybe you can go on and teach with the wife. Yeah. <laughs> she teaches elementary school. I don't think I'm doing that. No, you won't do that. You won't do that. You can go on a, not even high school. You'd be probably more of a college. That's more your yeah. speed, I'm sure. College, university. All right, Chief. I appreciate you again. Thank you for coming. Yep. Thank okay. you. Take care. Good Take luck. Take care. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank Sacramento, California Police Chief Daniel Hahn for taking some time out of his busy schedule to hang out with me here today. And I want to thank all of you, too, for taking time out of your busy schedules to listen to or watch this show. I'll be back in a couple weeks with another great guest. But till then, say it with me. Stay black and blue. I'll holler at you. Deuces. Entertainment presentation.